2: Summer's slipping away, so grab hold of Amazing at California's Great America before it's too late. Buy next year's Season Pass and get unlimited visits this year to experience rides, shows, and attractions. That includes incredible coasters, Boomerang Bay, and an amazing Peanuts-themed kids' area. Get this special offer for as low as 11 payments of $6.50 after an initial payment. Hurry to get the best price on the most fun you can have. Buy your 2020 Season Pass now at CAGreatAmerica.com.
3: And welcome back to another edition of the Dynasty Trade Cast brought to you this week by MyFFBC.com. Uh, my my name is Eric Wertzloff, better known on Twitter is at Dynasty Trades, joined by my co host, both co hosts today. Nathan Dan, what's up, guys?
4: Nathan, you said your name first. That means you get to go first. God, you guys, yeah, this well, bit this bit has to right, well, take this bit out back and him. shoot it.
1: <laughs> we have to stop. Um, we're gonna get another three star review and then we're all gonna cry.
5: Well. So, um, We see the news that teen vaping's on the rise, but teens see something else. Internet videos that talk up fun flavors and downplay the dangers of nicotine. How can parents talk so kids will listen? Use facts. One, nicotine can rewire teens' brains. Two, it can make kids more anxious. Three, changes to the brain can be permanent. So even when it tastes like candy, nicotine is brain poison. Go to flavorshookkids.org for more.
3: Uh, to be fair, the three-star review was because your audio is
4: so bad. And also because I wasn't here. That's that's where that makes you make, make audio. From. Oh God. I'm glad to be back though. I, I unfortunately had to miss last week. My my wife spent like nine hours in the hospital. Um it with just it, it ended up thank thankfully just being influenza, but my I was I was in a bad place all day and then it rolled over. And it was just like all right, I, I gotta <laughs> I gotta I gotta keep my mind clear and and be with everybody so yeah the whole house got the flu except for me and I was very grateful for that very grateful everyone's healthy but yeah I'm back and we're happy and we're good
3: yeah it's not very often you hear yeah it was just the flu so that's uh I'm well, gonna...
4: it was because for those that don't know my wife is pregnant um <laughs> due in May so it's kind of like it, it, we didn't know what it was gonna be and it was yeah my mind was a lot of places that day yep no yeah, no, that, <laughs> that, that, that hits heavy. We're good. We're good. Baby's good. Uh, okay. Okay.
3: It's all good. Let's introduce the guest. And it's Paul Uh Paul, you are uh, at Poly23NY, and you are dropping hot Twitter fire on the Combine, sir.
6: Yeah, glad to be here, guys. Yeah, big weekend here leading up to the draft. The pre-draft process really in full throttle now after the All-Star games and then the combine. And yeah, it was a it was a lot of tweeting. It was a lot of uh, back and forth, and uh letting getting my takes out there and and talking about these prospects and and a lot of a lot of crazy stuff happened at the combine this week. And I'm sure we'll definitely start talking about some of it. Some players rising, some players you know uh, slipping, and make for good uh, conversation.
3: Yeah, no, this is always fun when uh when every, when when somebody goes full Dalvin Cook or somebody comes out of the woodwork and runs a four or three, it's always it's always a ton of fun. Um Paul, we can find you on the uh Saturday to Sunday football podcast. You wanna do you wanna take a shameless plug here for a second
6: on that? Sure, yeah. Matt and I have been doing it a couple of years now. Uh this past year, uh we started offering for 999 uh some premium content. For that purchase, you get four premium notebooks. Uh, One is a 2018 scouting notebook, which we've basically converted now to a 2018 offensive draft guide. We've been updating that since the summer with our thoughts all. Uh, season. And now a lot of updates recently. You also get our rankings and tiers notebook, which has uh, Debbie rankings, dynasty rookie rankings, our draft eligible rankings and draft rankings. And then coming out within the next couple of weeks is a freshman notebook, which has profiles on the top 50 incoming freshmen to college football. And then the week of the draft or two weeks before the draft, you get the draft projections notebook, which is me trying to predict how it's going to happen for basically every single position Including all of defensive players, uh, a top 32 projection, a top 100, and I try to accurately predict every single pick in the NFL draft. So last year, I think I got 213 out of whatever it was. So we'll see. We'll see how many I can <laughs> That's get. I the top of this year.
3: Not. I mean, that has to be the most put together plug for yourself <laughs> that I've ever heard. Paul.
4: <laughs> that and is to help. A- to help the plug um, for the for those that are interested in something like this, think about the quality in these notebooks. If you all, if you're just following Paul and reading his tweets, those are like 60 to 90 second blurbs of thought smashed together. And it's like the most quality tweets ever. Think about what those notebooks have to be like. Those things have to be just lush.
3: I completely agree. All right. Well, let's let's go ahead and just hop into the show uh, or at least the rundown for the show. So today we're going to be talking combine 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 since that's the hot thing happening right now why Paul is here. I'm sure he can talk about other stuff but why would we want him to. Uh, So we'll be talking winners first uh, from the combine thus far and uh, and losers second. Um, and then uh and then wrap in kind of just getting Paul's thoughts. Uh before we get into the show though, I do want to remind all the listeners you can get a third listeners only 30% discount to Roto-Viz NFL pass through the NFL podcast homepage. That's com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our NFL content and it also supports the pod. So you can contact us via email. That's rotovizradio at gmail.com or slide into those Twitter DMs, that's at Rotoviz on Twitter. Okay, without further ado, Nathan, do you want to go ahead and drum up the Combine talk here?
1: All right, so we're going to highlight some of the winners today, and obviously, it's kind of because he was already the 101 in every single format possible, but Saquon Barkley was a huge winner of Combine Weekend. He blew up the Combine, and less so what you think about him in rookie drafts right now, because obviously he's going to be the 101, but... On the market, that 101, Saquon Barkley. Uh, we can start with Paul. Paul, that 101 can fetch on the dynasty trade market.
6: I mean, it would have to be a steep price. Like, And personally, I don't think I would trade it for rookie picks. I don't think I would trade it for a collection of picks just because I think his his upside and his talent is too great that I'd want to feel like I'm getting a proven player that I probably wouldn't be moving it unless I'm looking at like, Zeke coming back, Gurley, OBJ, like that would be the stratosphere in terms of NFL player that I'd be looking for. Uh, even like to go down to like number two and, and say, yeah, like Sonny Michelle or or Darius Geis or somebody like that. I don't know. Like it would have to be substantial, like, you know, another number one this year, a, a one next year, like that on a team that's going to be a really bad team or something. It would have to be substantial. And I still think I'd want to have a proven player coming back to even think about it. And one of those top tier guys. I mean, this is the
3: season for people to massively overpay. And you're, you're exactly right, Paul. I'm, I'm completely on board with that. Uh, that I've been getting all sorts of tweets. I had a guy DM me offline because he didn't want to. He was like, I think this is a good deal, but I don't want to alert the other owners. He's like, would you take Zeke and the 106 for Saquon? I was like, Jesus Christ, yes. Yes, I would take that. But, I mean, these are the deals that people are just going looney tunes on it. Uh, write it down in a mock this off season, somebody's going to draft him like one one overall in a dynasty mock. Write it down.
6: Oh, I, I can totally see that. Sorry. If you had
4: something, go ahead.
6: No, no, yeah. I mean, I just think right now, right now is the time that his value will be at absolutely highest because we don't know what team he's going on. So landing spot, no one's even thinking about landing spot. We literally just saw him. There was an article posted that was like, it was like the greatest combine performance of all time. So like his value is never going to be higher right now. So yeah, I, that Ezekiel Elliott at 1.06. Yeah. That's a trade you have to make. Ezekiel Elliott's in an ideal landing spot already. And he's going to be a top three or four running back for probably the next five to seven years. And you, and you get 1.06 to get a really good player. Right.
4: So this question, the, you know, what can you sell or what should you be looking for for me is entirely dependent on if you earned it or if you bought it. So if you earned it, I think you should be looking for a big package of picks and maybe some youth upside um, kind of thing. If you bought it, you should be trying to flip it for a first round guy. You know, your, your Mike Thomas is, or uh, it's, you know, some guys still might prefer the 101 to like Le'Veon Bell, but that's kind of in that same realm. Uh, Saquon's going to come out and he's going to be pretty much right in the first round almost immediately. I think he's close to it right now. Yeah, even in, I think he's
3: wise in the first round. I think he's just right at the tail end of it, but yeah.
4: Okay. So you should be looking to swap it for a first round guy. If you bought this pick, if not your team likely needs the depth. And even though those picks may not turn into points at some point, they're going to have value and you're going to be able to turn that value into points if you want to start building that way. So um, if your team absolutely earned it, like I have one where I flipped it for one Oh two and then a bunch of extra stuff just because my team absolutely needs the depth and again, it kind of depends on if it's like super flex or, you know, points per carry, all the different formats that it matters because that adds value to the later picks because now you have five quarterbacks. They're going to probably be in the first round and that stretches this running back class out a little bit. Even the wide receiver class that's super deep, maybe not top heavy, um, but it is very deep. So you can still get really good value with all of this stuff and it's going to have a good return even if you aren't getting all of those points right away.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, much- Go ahead, Nana.
1: I pretty much agree with all the points, you know, trying to target a, a top-end young veteran at, the, at this point if you're trying to sell Saquon Barkley. But, of course, we've talked about a single year, but next year's class, next year's wide receiver class is absolutely filthy. So if you can catch a team that is bad, that is like is getting a little bit too excited, to get there early first this year, and they're projected early first next year, and, yes, Saquon could maybe turn that early first into maybe an early mid-first. But I think there's an opportunity to capitalize Saquon type hype and get a very high-level wide receiver next year. And certainly you're taking the risk of Saquon just blowing up in his rookie year and being worth what Zeke was after his rookie year or Gurley was, but he's practically worth that now anyway. So I feel like selling him now has, doesn't have much risk other than the fact that you're selling a guy who might be producing points for you know six, seven years at elite levels.
3: Yeah, and and I just wanted to touch on one other thing and, and ask Paul a question with his kind of his knowledge of, of the combine I mean this is this seems like just a ludicrously prolific combine performance I mean what other performances come to mind when you see what Barkley's putting up there uh, just from like the past if, if you're excited about a comp in any way shape or form
6: I mean in in terms of running backs I can't I can't even think of a running back that you know killed it to this level like a guy we're gonna talk about a little a little bit later today, but like Vernon Davis comes to mind as a guy that just absolutely crushed every single, you know, category. Um, I know Kevin White was really impressive a couple of years ago. Obviously, that, that hasn't boy. translated, <laughs> uh, which is uh, which is always the the. the uh, Nathan brought up the wide receiver class next year which on paper right now looks outstanding but we we need a wide receiver you know we need the, the wide receiver groups to turn around here since 2014 it it has been a struggle with these rookie wide receivers coming in and giving us anything early on but no running back comes to mind that literally checked off every one of those boxes i mean darek henry was great last year but it was a couple things it was like the forty and the jumps right. not the not the agility drills so in terms of checking off every single box at that level at that size, I, I can't remember of anybody. I mean, maybe back in the day, long before our times of like of understanding, maybe Bo Jackson maybe put up something yeah. like this. That's like all I'm I sure, could think of. Yeah, that's the only guy I could think of the top of my head that was just such a physical freak that might have been able to do what Saquon did at like two thirty. I'm sure Bo was probably that something like that too. All
1: right, let's move on to our next play. I would say probably the biggest dynasty winner in terms of moving up the draft boards. And it's going to be Mike Gusecki. I think that's how you spell it, uh, Say his name. Um, he absolutely just Vernon Davis a few minutes ago, uh, Paul. And basically this is Vernon Davis reincarnated in terms of a combine score. These are all numbers from player profiler catch radius in the hunt. score in the 99th percentile first score, 99th percentile speed score, 95th percentile. And the 40-yard dash of 4.54 are the 95th percentile for tight ends. So, percentile or higher in all the major workout metrics. So, Gusecki blew it up. Um, Where does this land him in tight end premium uh, rookie drafts? We can start with Dan.
4: Well, I think, you know, I'm still a big believer in Mark Andrews. But, I, I honestly, it's really hard to look past that athletic profile. Um, that spider chart has to just be one filled in circle. There can't be, (laughs) there can't be any space left on that thing. Um, uh, you know, we, we got to see him a little bit in college. Unfortunately, Penn state was pretty awful outside of, you know, their athleticism. Um, but yeah, he's gotta be, he's, he's gotta be either tight end one or tight end two. And I really think he's going to be probably right after that, that mix of, of running the, you know, the kind of the high-end running back, but there's probably like six of those at this point. And I don't know that I'm in tight end premium. I don't know that I'm taking a wide receiver over him. I'd consider uh, Sutton right now, but even then uh, in tight end premium, I really don't think he can look past him there. Obviously the quarterbacks might be in play too, if we're considering like a super flex league or whatever. Um, Obviously we're just talking tight end premium, but yeah, he's, he's a freak.
6: So as much as I like a and I do. I I mean, I had him. Basically third going into the combine, and then for now I've flip flopped him and uh, Dallas Goddard just because we didn't get a chance to see Goddard work out and test athletically. And for somebody coming from a smaller school, I was hoping to, to get a feel for his athleticism, you know, on a level playing field. So for me, I have hidden Hearst actually still one, Gusecki two, and then Dallas Goddard three. And I kind of think back to last year. I mean, when you think about last year's elite tight ends between. Evan Ingram, O.J. Howard, David Njoku. I know I play in a couple tight end premium leagues. One is really super tight end premium, three points per reception. Wow. One was like 1.75. And even in the three point, in the three point one, I I think O.J. Howard went fourth and like then Evan Ingram went off the board at like six. In the one that was like 1.75 PPR points for a tight end. Uh, Evan Ingram went off the board like seven or eight. And then I played a couple of two tight end leagues, which are basically another way of making a tight end premium without bumping up that receiving stat. And Evan Ingram was going off the board in like that eight range or seven, eight as the first tight end. I have a hard time, even in tight end premium leagues, seeing Gusecki going off the board before uh, that eight, nine range. Uh, Dan mentioned before, I see a, a top six running back tier that Maybe one of those guys doesn't land in an ideal landing spot, so maybe they get pushed down the board a little bit because you got to wait on them. But I I think there's still at least five of those six running backs I would take before them, and then maybe you sprinkle in a wide receiver or two, whether it's sudden, whether, you know, someone, you know, Calvin Ridley, DJ Moore, guys we're going to talk about tonight, or other people that maybe land in perfect landing spots. So I'd probably say the earliest would be six, but I'd probably feel more comfortable in a tight end premium when we get to like that nine, eight, nine, ten range because I'd still prefer the guys, some of the guys from last year.
3: I mean, if we're talking not tight end premium, I mean, because well, let, let's let's do two things: one, not tight tight end premium, and and two, where are you anticipating him going in the NFL draft into the first round?
6: He could he could sneak into the back end of round one. I still think he's more of a top ten picks in the sec or the the first part of uh night two or so the second round. It's I still think where he's gonna go. Uh, I think some teams will still you know you got to use him straight out as a as basically a receiver. Yeah. Uh, on the Saturday Sunday podcast, Matt. During the Senior Bowl, when he watched him, compared him to Jimmy Graham. So we've been comping to the Jimmy Graham for a while, and then not even expecting him to test like this, especially in, in some of the agility drills. We knew he was going to jump out of the building and run a pretty good uh, forty for a straight line speed, but he could go, but he can't block at all. So it, he's got to be a team that knows how to use him. Uh, I, I see more of that early second round mix for him. I don't know if he's going to be the first tight end off the board. I still think people are really high on Goddard, and I think there's some people high on Hayden Hurst. I know in the fantasy community, the age of Hayden Hurst, you know, hurts him a little bit more uh, for some people who take that into account a lot. I don't know if in the NFL they're really going to care that Hayden Hurst is going to be a 25-year-old rookie and Gusecki going to be like 22 or something. So I don't know if he's the first tight end. I think he'll be, though, in that early – part of of round two in the nfl and that answer your other question about the uh non-tight end premium then i would start to say like early to mid second rounds i think when tight ends start coming off the board uh in non-tight end premiums
4: that yep, makes i'm sense. on this i'm on the same line I, i've got i've got them as as like an early to mid two in in non so that that's right on par with me
1: Yeah, I think that the, the big difference here is what happens with draft capital. I don't I don't think that he ends up getting past Jack Jackson mocked by everybody to get a tight end. And if Gasecki ends up going there, which I, I honestly I, I think that with that combine, I think it'd be hard pressed to see anybody but Gasecki go as tight end one. So Jacksonville in that late first pick, and that's a, a solid landing spot as well. So I I think that if he goes in the first and tight end premium, I'd be willing to go as high as like one hundred six, one hundred seven, and in more like the 109
6: one time just to jump in there for a second jacksonville would be an ideal landing spot because when blake bortles misses he always misses high (laughs) and he's (laughs) much more comfortable thrown in the between the numbers than he is outside so that would be that would be a pretty good landing spot they could also run a lot of play action uh where that would leave the middle of the field open a little bit in that intermediate level where bortles is pretty okay in that you know intermediate level in the middle of the field so gusecki again i don't know In terms of how much passing goes on there it might hurt him a little bit but in terms of like touchdowns and it would obviously be a pretty solid offense with Fournette on the ground that would definitely open up a decent you know i can i wouldn't be stunned to see seven to nine touchdowns in year one uh in that offense to be honest with you yeah we call that the cam newton where you
3: miss way way too high so that is uh bortles is newtoning these days
6: yeah, Josh Allen when he misses, too, up there.
4: <laughs> Except his his balls go on, like, right, 70 see. miles an hour. So he's not. <laughs> he's, you can't even jump to catch that one. It's burning your fingertips off.
1: Let's move on to our next one, our next guy on the list. Uh, and, but it seems like this wide receiver class has a bit of a type. You know, the, the bigger, you know, slower wide receiver who didn't put up much production as far as just, you know, a raw number perspective equinamia st brown is kind of the leader of that troop of guys that just didn't have enough production but you know have the the metrics of you know height weight speed to be able to produce at the next level and so i i think that st brown's an interesting guy because i feel like he definitely had the best weekend of those taller bigger guys you know he posted a 448 40 yard dash a uh um, what were your thoughts on St. Brown throughout the weekend? And do you think that he kind of leads that bunch of, you know, the, the bigger profiler wide receivers that are in the second among wide receivers?
6: Yeah. I mean, I think St. Brown had a good combine. I was expecting him to to test well. I thought he would check those boxes there for me. He's kind of been in that, I think this, I think there's 12 wide receivers for me that I, I I think there's a massive drop after 12 in terms of when I went through and watched film on these guys and he's among that 12. So he moved up a little bit this weekend. I don't Is think Is that one tier, Paul? That you have there that's 12
3: different wide receivers?
6: No, no, I have I have it separated into a couple tiers, but I don't think there's much distinction even between tier 1 and tier 2, but it I have it I have it uh two two separate tiers there. It's three in the first tier and then the rest of them are tier two. And that's how little distinction I think there is between that second tier. Wow. So St. Brown is in that tier for me. So I think he's going to maybe move up a little bit over, over some of the other guys. Obviously he looked uh, a little bit better than some of the other bigger guys there. Uh, But you really got to get past like this past year The production wasn't really there, but you know, I'm a pretty big Notre Dame fan and, They didn't have much of a pass offense. I mean, they really stuck it on the ground. I mean, with their offensive line led by Quentin Nelson and McGlinchey, you know, they were just running down people's throats and, you know, Josh Adams had a great statistical year. I don't think that's going to necessarily translate to a great NFL career, but they didn't really need to pass much and their quarterback just really couldn't complete much. I think he's going to probably go on day two. I think he's definitely moved himself to guarantee himself as a day two prospect now. You know, for a while, I was a little worried about that, but then he started to, you know, get some publicity. I think it was Daniel Jeremiah first put him in his top five uh, a week or two ago. I think that, you know, started to bring a little bit more attention to him because he does have that athletic profile. He looks like an AJ Green. I'm not going to, he's not. Anywhere near AJ Green, the player, but he has that profile of an AJ Green in terms of his body type, his athleticism. So I think teams are going to look at him and think he's going to have a better pro career than he is a college career. And there's a couple guys in that class who I who I think that is you know uh, a talking point in terms of I think they're going to be better you know NFL players in terms of their statistical output than their college level. And I think Saint Brown's in that mix. For me, he's still not like in the. He's still more of like in that. seven to nine range I haven't really fully moved everybody yet since the combine I want to let a couple of days pass because I don't really want to move things too much from the combine you know after spending so many hours upon hours watching film I still want that to be the major focal point of my rankings and tiers but I'll, I'll tweak it a little bit from some of the stuff that but I haven't finalized that but I'm assuming that's where he's gonna be for me
3: yeah because I, I I think it was Matt Harmon who compared him to uh, martavis Bryan on his reception perception chart I, I think I saw that today. Uh, so just another comp that I've that I've heard for him.
4: Yeah, I've I've even seen something a little bit crazier like Calvin Johnson, and and you know that's that's a that real stretch. That's yeah. a stretch to make, but there are some qualities that that they share. Um, I, he was a he was a what?
1: <laughs> so they're both big. That's where the similarities end.
4: <laughs> well, I mean they move pretty good. would Calvin run like a four four or something like that? Um, so I mean <laughs> up this, Calvin right now. They're in this. They're in this same four, three, five, by the same realm. Obviously, Calvin. At
3: at two thirty six, he ran a four three five.
4: Okay, I thought it was four four. Okay, either way, um, there so he was he was a really hot name in in Debbie drafts for a couple of years. Um, and he started to kind of creep up at, at the end of um, like last off when Debbie drafts were happening and whatnot. And he started to go pretty early. And then this twenty seventeen season happened, and like Paul said, they they just didn't really throw all that much. They didn't need to. Um, but even, even so when, when, um, when God, what was the quarter, what's the quarterback's name? Uh, it's Goldson, Goldson, right? Goldson, Ever Goldson. So yeah, even when Goldson would, would throw and it was hideous, um, you know, it, it, Equinemius is making some plays. Um, he's, he's fun to watch. He's big body. He's quick. He's, he's kind of that that prototypical guy that everyone that's like oh you know I I'm a scout and this and that and they're like oh he's got a wide receiver one profile like he kind of hits those those marks he's i I don't think he's near the top of the wide receiver class but I think I have a very similar top like 10 to 12 that that Paul has I'm guessing the names are probably pretty similar and I think he's basically right in the middle um oh Golson <laughs> no it was Brandon Wimbush okay uh even worse <laughs> Even worse, um, we should have had Deshaun Kaiser for one more year, but unfortunately not. Um, so anyways, I think, I think he's in that kind of five to seven wide receiver range. Uh, I, he's definitely outside of the top tier for me at least, and I was a fan. Uh, I, I enjoyed him uh, during his time at Notre Dame. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see him show out this year like we maybe thought he would. Uh, but we still got a few more St. Browns left in college that we can watch, which, uh, which would be good. His, brother, his brother's Amon Ron, and he's got one. That's, I think his name's just like John or something. <laughs>
3: there's, there's always one that's just got a regular name.
4: <laughs>
1: All right, let's move on to our final winner before we move on to some losers. Uh, our this past weekend was DJ Moore of Maryland. And the real question now, obviously you talked about how deep the, t- the top two tiers are, Paul, but is D.J. Moore now receiver one, just to, to some numbers, 4, four 2 40-yard dash, uh, a 95th percentile speed score, and a catch radius of the 87th percentile. So like with D.J. Moore, and even when we talk about his dominated rating, 97th percentile, 53.3%. That basically means that he made up for half of the Maryland passing offense, which is absolutely. So, uh, Paul, uh, what did you take away from DJ Moore this
6: past weekend? Yeah, I mean, I I thought DJ Moore was going to test out well athletically. I didn't think he was going to test out that well. I mean, it was a very impressive performance. I thought he was going to run maybe four four seven, four four eight. So we, he went like I think, what do you say four four two, right? Yeah, four four two. So I mean he he blazed in that. Uh you know, I figured he was gonna jump well because I thought he I thought he played really uh, bigger for his size, similar to James Washington, that he's good at the catch point in terms of going up and getting it for a smaller guy who's not in like that six two, the six four range. So I wasn't surprised by the by the vertical jump. Uh the broad jump was, was even better than I expected. And then I expected him to do well in the agility trails. But there was a couple other guys that thought were actually uh, gonna do a little bit better because he's even though he's he checked in at six feet and he was actually taller than his listed college height. He, he's got a little bit of bulk to him. He's not like one of those, like, you know, in college, he wasn't like one of those five eleven, 185 pound guys. And and we'll be talking about one of those in in a couple minutes, I think. But, you know, so I didn't think he, I thought he was going to do well in the agility drills in terms of the shuttle and the pericone, but I didn't think he was going to blow it up like that. So to answer your question, could he be in the mix to be wide receiver one? he won't be for me, but unless he lands in a perfect landing spot, but I can see him being in people's, you know, listen, people take a put a lot of stake in this and this wide receiver class i have already set gone record and, and said earlier that it's very, it's a close group in terms of, I don't think there's a lot between tier one and tier two. And I've already said it goes 12 deep for me that I think landing spots going to be critical. So between how good he looked in, in at the combine and the pre-draft process, impacts a lot of people's minds I think especially in terms of fantasy and then if he lands in the first round then I think it's possible if not top 10 top 12 picks of round 2 and it's a team where you know he could quickly emerge and to be their wide receiver 1 or wide receiver 2 I think it's very possible he could be in the mix to be wide receiver 1 uh, for me he'd be a little bit further down the list unless the, the guys ahead of him really land in poor landing spots for me and he lands in an ideal one and I think landing spots will probably matter a lot the way i have these guys ranked now Probably will shuffle up pretty, con- pretty considerably, especially to wide receivers, based on landing spots and immediate, you know, opportunity and, and room to grow and quarterback play. Uh, so I think it's possible, though. I, I really do, and that I would not have said before this weekend.
3: Let, let me ask you, Paul, because I, I don't know much about DJ Moore. It, can you give the listeners and myself uh, some knowledge as far as like who he's com- com- or uh, comparison wise, who he uh, kind of reminds you of?
6: To me, he reminded me a lot of Golden Tate because, again, Golden Tate's one of those guys that is not... He's a smaller guy, but he's got some bulk to him. He's got some physicality to him. He can go up and win at the catch point. Now, the Lions have really brought it back to a lot more shorter stuff with him. But if you remember when he played for the Seagulls, Golden Tate did stuff vertically down the field. He would win in contested, contested areas and make plays vertically. Now, for the Lions, the way their offense has been built, they've kind of had Marvin Jones to be more of the vertical guy and, and Golden Tate's been a lot closer to the line of scrimmage. but I kind of started, I kind of out from him uh I think he can play inside, I think he can play outside. Some people might say he he, he could be one of the best slot wire receivers in this in this class. I think he can definitely play on the outside as well because I do think he can get vertical and and make plays in the air. So that's who he reminded me of based on his body type and the flexibility and versatility to play inside and outside. Cool, N- hot fire
4: there, Nathan. You got anything?
1: Nope. I, I, I uh, any, any thoughts from you on uh, more, Dan? Um,
4: he's he's in my my top tier. He's not my wide receiver one. Um, there was a lot of me that wanted to move him to that spot because of the weekend, but then I kind of thought back and, and remembered he doesn't really play with the speed that he showed in that 40, you know, he doesn't play that fast. He plays big, you know, what did we say? He measured it at just over six feet.
3: Yeah. It looks like six foot.
4: Yeah. I mean, he, he, he plays like he's six, three, six, four that, that you mentioned his catch radius is what? 87th percentile, Nathan. Yes.
1: 87 percentile catch radius.
4: That's a big time for a six footer. Um, that's, that was what was probably most impressive to me. And, and I saw those kinds of things when I watched him, I didn't, I didn't see the blazing speed. So that, that helps, but it, at the same time, it maybe it hurts because he's got the ability to do it. He just needs to find a place that's going to show him how to use that correctly. He's he doesn't he didn't use it correctly at Maryland. Um, so if he can add that combination of catch radius with that speed, uh, I'm totally with Paul here on on he can work inside and out because of his ability to go up and get it at the catch point and his what apparently turned into you know short range agility because he did so well in the agility drills. So. Um, you know, if, if somebody can figure out how to use those, those skills and implement them, which I would certainly hope we would, because we're talking about the NFL here. Um, but if, if it goes to a spot with, you know, kind of shoddy coaching, maybe we just kind of see what we saw, which isn't the end of the world because he's still going to be productive. Um, but I, I think he has a legitimate chance to end up being the wide receiver one in this class. Only if he goes to a favorable spot.
3: All right. Thanks, Dan. Um, and then before we get into uh, telling the telling the listeners about our sponsor this week, Paul, did you have any other winners that you wanted to mention or felt like you uh, wanted to throw out there that uh, to put on everybody's radar here?
6: Yeah, a couple guys, real quick. Uh, one wide receiver, DJ Chark from LSU. I mentioned before uh, some players who weren't great in college, but I think are going to be much better in the NFL. I think that's DJ Chark. I I think he's one of if not the best vertical wide receiver in this in this upcoming draft class. And then I was I was expecting him to run fast. I wasn't expecting him to run four three four. I wasn't expecting him to jump out of the building. You know, I think if it wasn't for DJ Moore and how great he tested in every single event, I think DJ Chark would be the guy we're talking about the most in terms of making the most rise. And then he didn't have a complete athletic picture, if I remember correctly, because I think he set out the, 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 change of direction stuff, the, the 20 uh, yard shuttle and the cone but I thought he was a big winner. Uh, and then the running backs, I think Kalen Balaj checked off what he needed to as well. I think he's an intriguing guy. I was recently on, uh, the daily draft pod with Elliot Chris talking about, uh, Kalen Balaj and I like his game a lot. And I thought he did what he had to do there, which was show athleticism for his size because he's not a natural runner with great vision. But he's got really good to great athleticism for a man his size, and great receiving ability. That if he lands in an ideal landing spot and team knows how to use him, he can make an impact right away. As maybe his running develops a little bit, like we saw guys like Kenyon Drake. Uh, obviously, the max ceiling would be, you know, once upon a time people thought David Johnson wasn't a natural runner and was going to maybe move to H back or something like that when he first came out of college as well. Whoops. <laughs>
3: Uh Dan, did you have any other winners you wanted to mention before we move on?
4: Um, yeah, somebody that I was ready to kind of completely write off, even though he had a pretty good college profile. And, and you know, for a while he was kind of the hot name, uh, Royce Freeman. He, he did much better than I thought he was going to. And he, I kind of put him back onto my radar, I moved him way up in my running backs. Um, and I was probably being a little bit unfair. Um, and I know our good friend Russell Clay was very excited to see him. I'm pretty sure he had his pants off all weekend. Um, so, so I've got Royce Freeman moving up and then the other one, which he was pretty high on everybody's boards as it was, but Rashad Penny, um, I didn't see that speed happening. He's such a smooth strider and he, and it's so much fun to watch him run. But, um, the, I I think his, his third down, you know, I don't want to call him a liability, but, um, his, his maybe let's say inability on third down kind of shy me away from him a little bit. But watching him hit that speed and watching him do well in drills, I, I moved him way up, and I even sent a tweet out like, "I don't care how how bad he is on third down or whatever, because he might actually be the worst pass pass blocker uh, running back I've ever watched, which is saying a lot because he's absolutely <laughs> atrocious at it. I mean, it's bad. Uh, we didn't get to see him really catch any passes, so we can't really write that off quite yet. I'm sure we can. He he can learn how to do that a little bit better, but. Uh, yeah, he's somebody I moved way up, but just because of of how good he looked this week.
3: What about a uh, What about Nick Chubb? I feel like he kind of exploded on exploded this weekend too, and he and he never, people have been really. He's kind of been up and down with his injuries. I think.
4: Right, the injury was the was the issue. He should have been always in those top three, four, but people were like, "Oh, he's not the same." This, that, the other thing. Sony Michelle is the Georgia back you want, man. Um <laughs>
3: why, did, why did why did Sonny Michelle go back to the 1920s in that
4: game? <laughs> because it's the wrong take. Sonny Michelle is very, very good, but Nick <laughs> Chubb is 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 and was an elite back, an elite college back. Um the injury sucked, of course. And you know, a lot of times guys don't return. We saw Todd Gurley do it, and we're about to see Nick Chubb do it. He should still be in that top top end part of the running back class. And I, you know, I, I probably had him move down a little bit after the injury and i maybe didn't think he was going to be the same, but he, he's absolutely ready for the NFL. All he had, right.
1: He had, a, he had a very good combine. Uh, Nick Chubb, we talk about the injury, he's one of those guys that he could have before the injury, he could have had that Saquon Barkley type combine. And wouldn't that have been the guys in the same class, even though Chubb would probably have come out last year, but still uh, Chubb, he would have blown out the combine before the injury.
3: Okay, well, well, I think now let's pivot and uh, talk about losers. But first, uh, let me tell you guys about our sponsor for this episode, uh, the Fantasy Football Players Championship. Uh, They're the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. For most people, it's the off-season, but not for the FFPC. They now have almost 200 active dynasty leagues with entry fees starting at $77 and going up to $2,500. Yeah, $2,500. And here's something incredible. Not a single dynasty league is folded in eight years. Orphan Dynasty Teams are available for purchase right now. I know that Twitter is clamoring for orphans right now. Uh, So this is a great, great place to go. Uh, Many of these teams are good. Teams ready to compete and startup dynasty leagues will be forming shortly. So get your name on the wait list today. Plus, if you're ready to draft now, the FFPC Best Ball League is coming for 2018 in a couple days uh, and starting at just $35 entry fees. Uh, so don't miss the FFPC experience. Go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season long high stakes fantasy football. All right, Nathan, let's get into some losers.
1: All right, let's get started with probably the biggest loser of the weekend, and that is going to be Calvin Ridley. Ridley the guy who's going to go in the first round of the NFL draft, possibly the wide receiver one, but he did have a poor weekend. He did run a 4-4-3-40 to get the 86 percentile. So the 4 40 is wrong. It was more of the measurables of his catch radius, measuring it at the 21st percentile. In his burst score, ending up at the second percentile, so he's de- definitely not the athlete that some of the people coming into the weekend thought he was. Um, so, Paul, I know that you said that this is the example of this year's Dalvin Cook several times on Twitter. So, your weekend for Calvin Ridley?
6: Yeah. So obviously, it didn't live up to I think what people were expecting it to. But I'm gonna I'm gonna put it on the side as while well. I understand people are gonna classify him as a loser. To me, it didn't change that much about him. It it really didn't. He's still my wide receiver one. If I was an NFL team and I needed to pick a wide receiver, I never thought he was a top 15 pick. I, I always thought the Bears talk and the Ravens talk was, was too over the top. It was just like last year. All Burritos wide receivers got pushed up way too early. Uh, Matt and I were on record saying we all thought they were picks that should have been in the 20s, similar to the year before when Coleman and Doxson and Treadwell and all those guys were in the 20s. And I thought maybe people were pushing up Ridley too high because that's what people do when they need a wide receiver to fill a need. And we saw it last year happen. So I was impressed with the 40, but that was just checking a box that we assumed he was going to run. Uh, I don't really care too much about the, the jumps, per, per to say. I was stunned about the change of direction. I think he... Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't have it in front of me. One of them was was really horrendous. Was it the 20, the 20-yard 20 shuttle was really horrendous? And the three cone was like average or adequate?
1: I don't have those scores in front of me, but I, I do have his agility score, is a 39th percentile, burst score, second percentile. Obviously, it has a lot to do with uh, height, weight, speed, is 60th percentile. So I'm guessing, yes, the the three cone and the twenty-yard shuttle and things like that are where his agility and burst score uh, were sub.
6: Yeah. So, yeah. And one of them was really bad. Like one of them was one of the worst at the combine, which is just baffling. Uh, and he obviously came in pretty light, which the, the measurements came out a day or two before, you know, so I think he came in at like one eighty nine or something, which is a little bit light. Uh, I'm not going to overreact to it. I, I overreacted a little bit last year and, and I'm, you know, I I was a huge fan of Dalvin Coke, but I was, I was really stunned at how poorly he did, you know, last year at the combine. And again, it was mostly because he didn't, I don't even think he did all the, he did some of the jumps and then he really tested poor in the, in the change of direction stuff as well. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, that, that's really stunning. And he probably was going to fall in the second round anyway, because of the character stuff and the off the field, stuff, but there was a lot of people that were really concerned about that, and to me, as soon as Cook got on the NFL field, we sort of cooked that we knew and were accustomed to watching right. at Florida State, and I kind of think that's the same thing with Ridley. I think if Ridley was at a different, you know, a different program that really utilized the passing game and didn't have so many great players and just pound the rock and play great defense, so their offense wasn't asked to bail them out of games too often. I think he would have put up monster stats. Like you, were, you you ran off before DJ Moore's like percentage of the Maryland offense. I have no doubt that that Calvin really could have done that if he was in different places. I just think he's so smooth. I think he's far and away, and I don't even think it's that close in terms of natural rat running ability in this draft class. I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna be able to get open pretty easily. I'm not worried about him now not being able to create space because of those change of direction drills. I think on the football field he does that. I think he's got good hands. I know his field work wasn't even great. Yes, the yes on Saturday as well. Uh, it was a bad day. I think he'll. I think he'll probably test a lot better at the Alabama Pro Day. But to be honest with you, it's quick. It's this week. So uh, I believe it's this week. It, it comes really fast. So it's not like he's got a lot of time to get back to the drawing. Board to train for those, but I'm I'm less worried about him than I think some people. I refuse to believe what I saw on film over over his career in college it wasn't the real Calvin Ridley. I just think it was a bad day, or maybe he's just not a great tester. He wasn't really focusing on them in his his pre-draft process there. I still think he's going to be uh, the best wide receiver from this class.
3: Can I ask you a general question, Paul? And and, sure. I, and you you touched on it, and and I, it's something that I I struggle with, and it, and it's the quantifying. Uh, a poor combine with still college production on film because i think i think i think many 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 of the dynasty twitter fell into the trap on cook last year um, and now it's happening um, again and i think there's probably one one a year that kind of just flop at the combine is there a way that you kind of quantify to say okay this this player it was so good in college and was so transcendent that i just don't believe what the combine's telling me
6: yeah, I, I mean, I, I think for each person, it's, it's a more specific example. Like, I really like to use the combine as tiebreakers. Like, when I have three or four guys, like, I'm going to use it a little bit for tiebreakers in that second wide receiver tier where I had guys like, you know, Equanimia St. Brown and Deion Kane and Dante Pettis, even though we didn't get a chance to see him test yet. I'll use it there or in the big wide receivers, the Simi Cobbs', Alan Lazard, Jalil Scott's of the world. I'll use the combine a lot to help me sort those guys out who are really close. But when but when somebody's so far off what I see, I, I'll go back and watch more film. Like obviously the comment just happened, so I haven't had a chance. But I feel like I'm gonna turn on another game or two of Calvin Ridley and I'm gonna see everything that I wrote down originally. Like I feel like I've watched enough games just evaluating him. I've watched enough games just in general because Alabama's on TV every day. So I think sometimes it sends you back to the 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 film a little bit and said, like, did I miss something? Uh for each guy. So like I think it's a case by case example. Uh Ridley's a guy who I don't think I'm gonna change my tune on. Just like last year, you know, I got a little bit concerned with Dalvin Cook. Uh but then I was like, you know what, I've watched just about every Florida State game that he's played and he's great. Like, so why am I worried about this? When he gets on the football field, his play speed and his change of direction on the field is excellent. And his burst and acceleration, all that's how he's going to win at the NFL. And maybe he's not going to make people miss. Like, I think that for a while people thought Dalvin Koch was more like LaShawn McCoy in terms of his cutting ability, yeah. but that was never really his game. He was all about explosion and burst getting to the edge that way. Then like making people miss. And then Calvin really is the same way in terms of he's going to make people, he's going to create space. He's going to get, he's going to find uh, soft coverage and, and find the spots and zones. And I think he's going to be hard for people to stay with. I mean, the easy comp is Antonio Brown once upon a time tested really poorly too, you know, and I think he's going to win similar ways like that. Obviously, the odds of him becoming Antonio Brown are slipped. All right, you heard it first here. He's Antonio Brown.
4: <laughs> Mark it down, whole thing. <laughs> um just just for a little bit of clarity on the drills. Uh, the three cone was the sixty first percentile and the shuttle was ninth percentile. So um there, you have those scores. Um I, I think I'm kind of I'm kind of in the same realm here. You know, he he's he like Paul says, he he's got really good college tape. Um he's he's technically speaking the best wide receiver. Uh, in the class obviously we just saw athletically he's not Um, but you don't need to be that great of an athlete to win at the wide receiver position in the nfl you can create separation with route running it's pretty simple they just have to figure out how to use him if that means moving him inside so he gets a free release fine even though i don't think he needs that i think he can win uh we know he's strong he was what he put up like 15 16 reps um you know so obviously that doesn't necessarily you know generate play strength, but we know, we know he's got the strength. We see it on the tape. Um, The difference I think is his tape in college, even though it was limited because of the Alabama offense, I think it was good. Um, And we see the Dalvin cook, you know, type of, of deal. But when I watched Delvin, I saw great. I I saw borderline elite and with Calvin, and maybe this is just kind of a, this wide receiver class. Again, I just saw good tape. I think he's going to be a good, um, a good NFL wide receiver. I, you know, with the, the little bit of extra age and, you know, maybe not the athletic ability. I just don't see the upside of some of the other guys. Um, so I slide him down just a touch. I didn't slide him down a touch this weekend. He's in the exact same spot I had him um, just because that's who he is. You know, he, he's going to beat you technically. He, he's he's going to do it that way. That's just the only way he can win, honestly. And, and it makes the most sense. He's great at catch, catching the ball. He's a great route runner. And that's where he's going to need to win. Yeah,
6: I just want to jump in right there. I think you hit it on the head with the, the. I don't. I've been on record saying I don't think there's a number one wide receiver in this draft class in terms of a bona fide stud number one wide receiver who can beat the the elite elite. Defensive backs on a regular basis, who you can build your entire offense around. I don't think that's the case. I think there's a bunch of really good number two wide receivers, and I think yep. you're right. I think Calvin really doesn't have the highest upside. To me, he's a rock solid double. Maybe he's a triple. But if, if Cortland Sutton pans out to be Mike Evans like, then he's a home run, and he deserves to be number one. You know, in the group of guys, and he he could have been brought up before as a winner because he tested out athletically. You know, fantastic this weekend. Uh, so it, it, it's kind of what you're looking for. You look. For the guy who could maybe Ekwonuime St. Brown, like you mentioned before, he's got the profile that maybe he can be an NFL wide receiver one if it all comes together. I just think Calvin Ridley. I know worst case scenario, I think he's a better version of Jarvis Landry. Like that's night. I think he's a ninety catch guy. You know, book it if he's in, a, in an offense that passes enough.
4: It's the ultimate. It's the ultimate struggle between collecting pretty pretty chess pieces and having the chess pieces that win. Um, it's, it's a floor versus ceiling play. And, and normally for me, I'm a, I'm a floor guy. I'd much rather have that built in sustainability. Um, but when it comes to some rookie picks, there's going to be guys that I just, I'm going to prefer that upside just because of where the potential could be. Um, he's still not going to slide down my board at all. He's still in the first round. He's, he's in that top tier of wide receivers. Um, we just, I want to, I want to see him at his pro day because like Paul said, I think he maybe just had a bad day. Um, and that it's a lot of pressure. We saw Mike Thomas have a bad day. And look at Mike Thomas. He's doing all right.
1: All right, let's move on to our next one. Our next loser is going to be Mark Walton, Miami running back at only 200 pounds. And so prior to the combine, I think he was kind of in that conversation, maybe slightly below the, the Ronald Jones, Sonia Michels of the world. How does this combine, especially that, that that speed at that you know low of a weight, uh, Paul? What do you take away from Mark Walton? Where do you think he ends up going in rookie drafts now that he's not quite thought he was? I'm not saying he was going to run like a four three five, but I think that at least prior to the combine, I was expecting more like a, a high four fours or a, or low four fives.
6: Yeah, I mean, I think the spot right there. I think most people thought he was going to be in that four four five to four four nine range, and I think and him more than anybody. He really might have not been ready. I mean, this is a guy who suffered a really serious injury. Missed the I think he missed the whole second half of the season. Correct if someone knows that, be correct me if I'm wrong. But I know he missed a good portion of the season it's possible that he wasn't completely back, but he kind of wanted to put himself out there as kind of don't forget about me. I'm, I'm here. And maybe he wasn't completely, you know, 100% where he should be because on tape, he looks a lot faster than a four, six guy. I mean, there's plenty of tape of him, you know, taking it to the house where he looks like he's moving. So I never, you know, he's a guy who I liked. I've I always kind of had him in that, you know, Where I had Naheem Hines, where I had John Kelly. That was kind of always the mix where I had uh, Mark Walton. He wasn't in my top two tiers. He was somewhere in the middle of that third tier for me. Uh, You know, where John Kelly, Hines, a little bit below, Balaj and Penny for me. I'm going to kind of keep them there. I don't think I might move up Chase Edmonds and Bo Scarborough a little bit because they really had nice weekends in terms of their athletic profiling. Uh, and I kind of wait and may take a little bit of a wait and see approach and see if Walton improves those numbers. But I, he he's kind of like, to me, he's going to be like a Tevin Coleman type player. I think at the NFL level, I thought he had more agility in terms of change of direction stuff, but I thought he's going to be more of a change of pace guy, use him out of the backfield, but had that explosion that can make, you know, make some big plays. Never a guy who I thought was going to be a workhorse or a bell cow. So obviously those numbers hurt him when, when that's what he was supposed to be. Uh, Uh, so I think right now I would probably say late second round and, you know, late second round. And if he doesn't land in a good spot, I think he could probably fall into the third round of rookie drafts because I think we're probably looking at a fourth round pick right now in terms of his NFL stock. And I think, you know, once you get to the third day, you, you better be really careful about you, you know, draft stock matters a lot. And sometimes I think every year people in rookie drafts sometimes fall in love with guys and they love, they fall in love with situation. But they don't take into account how much draft capital matters in terms of the longevity and the the leash that these guys have and how many opportunities. It's I always I always say it because I fell into the trap years ago, the Trey Mason effect. I went out and bought him in every single league after his rookie year, only to see them then draft Todd Gurley and then Trey Mason's uh basically career end uh from that and then off the field stuff. How 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 much did you scream when the Rams made that draft pick? Like, (laughs) Uh oh just
3: must have freaked out. I think everybody
4: did.
6: Not only did I freak out because of that, I also freaked out because the pick before, I'm sure you guys know I'm a, a diehard Giants fan, everybody in their world said Eric Flowers couldn't block. Everybody, every draft Twitter analyst, and I I don't really study offensive linemen, so I'm not gonna pretend, but I read enough about it and I watched him at the combine and it was one of the worst tackle performances I've ever seen. Just <laughs> and I don't even know what I'm really watching sometimes with the tackles, but it was just so natural to see that he was slow. And people were beating him on the outside, left and right, and then the Giants go pick him ninth, and and then Ty is like the next pick in the draft, and it's like really, and then and then only for them, all my Trey Mason chairs to go out the window, and the Giants to get stuck with a stiff tackle that couldn't block anybody. <laughs>
1: well, Paul, you weren't on the Shotcast live when uh, when uh, Frank got Eli Apple, so that that was <laughs> that was the best entertainment.
6: Oh, that those two, <laughs> those two years back to back. I mean, everything, everything went wrong. In Eli Apple year. I mean, and we knew the giants weren't taking a uh, which would have been the slam dunk pick that fell into their lap. Uh, And two years in a row, they wasted the top 10 picks. And, and that's how you end up where they are right now. You know, picking second in the draft, <laughs> you blow top 10 picks. It's hard to rebound from them.
4: Okay. Back to Walton just quick. And then we can move on. Um, I'm I Paul. You mentioned it right away. I don't think he was ready. I, I don't think he's all the way healthy. Uh, this this didn't look like the guy that I saw on tape. Um, obviously, that doesn't always translate, like we just saw uh, with Calvin Ridley, who we just talked about. Um, but uh, none of this looked even close to me. Uh, I saw far more agility. I saw far more speed. Um, you know, the it, it's just kind of an interesting thing. I, I see, like you mentioned, Tevin Coleman. Um, I, I think that's pretty much. Right on par, you know. I the Theo Riddick's, the Duke Johnson's, who obviously went to Miami as well. Um, I think Walton's a little bit better in between the tackles than like the Duke Johnson's and the Theo Riddick's. Um, so I, I actually like the Tevin Coleman call, I think that's pretty darn close. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm ready to to hopefully see him perform in the NFL after kind of a kind of a throwaway day. I, I don't really want to count it. I'm, I'm hope obviously the pro day is only a week. Uh, but I'm hoping that maybe he just gets a little bit more going for that. Uh, I'm not expecting much, though. I, I just kind of think he's he's not all the way there yet.
1: All right, let's move on to our final draft loser, and that is going to be Auden Tate. I talked on how there's kind of this group of big, slower wide receivers who struggled to get separation, who didn't get much production at, at the college level, and it was basically who was going to decide where are these guys how are these guys going to end up testing out? And while St. Brown thrived, Auden Tate did not do as well with the testing at at this stage. So uh, just to go through a little bit of him, he would have four, six, eight, 40 yard dash, ninth percentile, 20 29th percentile speed score and a third percentile burst score on player profiler. So certainly not the combine. If you were an Auden Tate fan, Uh, Paul, what do you take away from Auden Tate this weekend?
6: Yeah. I mean, Tate, of all the guys we're talking about in terms of losing the most value, I I think Tate is far and away the guy who, who lost the most value. And, and for him, it was, he tested out poor in everything. And he looked really poor in the drills. Like, you know, so obviously he had a very subpar year. I think a lot, I think his statistical output would have been substantially better because I think the Andre Francois is a fantastic quarterback that we'll be talking a lot about next year. Uh, But Tate, obviously, in that offense this year, they really, you know, it was was basically a pathetic offense once Francois got hurt in that opening night against Alabama. So we didn't get to see the growth that I was hoping to see from Tate because he was right up there. And everybody, mine included, is like top eight, top 10 wide receivers going into college football year. And even after the year, I kind of wanted to give him the benefit of doubt. I thought he showed some areas of improvement. So going into the combine, he was at the back end of that tier two for me at the, he was like 13th. He was the last guy in my top, he was in my top 13, but he was at the bottom of that list. And then it was everything. Listen, I wasn't expecting him to run that well. If he ran four, six, two, I would have been okay. That's about what I expected from him. But I think he ran like a four, six, six, and then a four, seven on the second one. I don't know where his official one came down at, but just the fact that he ran a four, seven, even on the second one shows you that he he really is slow and then he didn't show leaping ability uh, I mean people at Alan Lazard was going to be the slowest wide receiver there and then he ended up running a four five five and he jumped like thirty eight and a half inches. I think that's what Tate needed to do to kind of show people that he had enough athleticism for a big guy who he has to win at the catch point. And I still think he can do that. I still think he can win at the catch point. He can use his size and physicality. He could be a red zone weapon. But I think people are very nervous about those guys right now after we've seen some of these guys come into the league, you know, and even a guy like Laquan Treadwell had more athleticism then on Tate in college. And then even I'm sure at the combine as well, or pro day, I think, I don't know if he participated at the combine, but people are a little bit, I think more leery about these guys. If they, you know, can't create separation on their own and are exclusively players that have to win at the catch point because your margin for error is very small. And you have to be, you have to be bonafide, great to elite, at that one area if you're going to make a difference on a regular basis, you know, week in and week out. And I think Tate had to show more of that or more athleticism because I don't think he's that elite at, at the catch point and he didn't have the statistical, you know, production to back it up that I I think he's now a day-three prospect in the NFL draft and I didn't think that going into this
4: weekend. Yeah, uh, the Uh sorry, I mean uh Audentate, Um not not doing so hot these days. De Wokia if you wanna go back down that memory lane. Do you have um, do you have a,
3: an odd how about how about odd not great? There you
4: go. <laughs> I like that one. I like that one. Odd and not great um yeah team team big wide receiver has got to be kind of disappointed in that one um he's you know i mean the the measurables are impressive he's he's a big dude he's 6'5 230 big wingspan big hands big arms and then you try to watch the athleticism and it's just it's not there and it, it it never you know i i didn't see that on on the tape i didn't I didn't think he was going to test well, like Paul said, Um, but four, seven was lower than, than than I definitely anticipated. Uh, I've never been really high on him. I I think like Paul said, he can be used as a red zone weapon just because of his size. Um, But he's not, he's not even that good at that. You know, it's kind of one of those, one of those things where there's a lot of potential in a body, but it's just not really anything coming out of it. You know, it, it's yeah. He's he's going to be a late round guy, and maybe he catches on, and maybe starts to figure it out, and somebody figures out how to use him. But I I don't I don't really see a whole lot there.
6: Before this weekend, I would have never thought that uh, Jamon Moore from Missouri, who's a little bit smaller, not nearly as big as as like the. Auden Tate's and the Semi Cobbs of the world and guys like that. But before this weekend, I would have thought Auden Tate was definitely getting picked before guys like Alan Lazard and Jamon Moore. And now I, I, I think Lazard and Moore both can go before him. I don't know if definitively, because again, if, if the NFL team really loves them, maybe they're not going to drop them that much, but I wouldn't be surprised anymore. If Jamon Moore and Alan Lazard go before him and before this weekend, I, I would not have said that. All right. Do we have?
3: I think we're out of players. Do we have any other losers, uh, Paul? Before we wrap the show, that uh, that you wanted to uh, go ahead and call out.
6: I mean, no one, no one really stands out too much in terms of uh I mentioned a tight end. Uh I think Dan brought him up before Mark Andrews. He's a guy who I was hoping tested out a little bit better athletically. I still think he's a really solid prospect, but you know, not too long ago he was sitting at the top of the tight end tier. So I think, you know, this might have been an opportunity for him if he tested a little bit better that maybe he could have, you know, pushed his way back up there, you know, into the conversation. So, you know, he ended up, I think his 40 time was a four, six, six, which is is not terrible, but I think I think people or maybe hoping for a little bit better in terms of the athletic numbers uh, from there. So he'd be a tight end. Uh, I was a little disappointed in John Kelly. I like John Kelly's game a lot on film. He didn't really uh, run very fast in the forty. I thought he'd be a little bit quicker. And then I think he bowed out uh, out of a couple of the other drills as well. Uh, in terms of, uh, I, I forget off the top of my head if it was the. Uh, the change of direction drills or the uh, the jumps, but I don't even think he tested fully across the board either. Uh, so I thought maybe he ha- he was a little bit of a down in terms of the combine as well. So I would probably say uh, Kelly and Andrews, two guys who might have hurt their value a little bit this weekend. All right. Well, uh,
3: I guess does anybody else have anything else before we go ahead and wrap the show here?
1: Well,
4: no. Um, I I, I'm
1: discussing this with uh, you yet, Eric or Dan. But uh, so. As many people know, I am the guest getter. I, I slide in DMs <laughs> on the regular. And uh, next week, I will be on a plane to Chicago during recording. I will not be able to get you guys a guest. Sorry. Uh, so here's my idea. Leave a five-star rating interview on iTunes for the nice trade guest. And you can you want to have on next week's show. And basically, we'll look at the reviews uh, maybe Thursday, Friday, and Dan and or Eric can slide into DMs of those requests, rating reviews, and who you want as a guest for next week's show.
4: I've been known to slide in some DMs yeah i don't doubt
3: that dan uh well speaking <laughs> spe- speaking of uh speaking of guests uh we just had an awesome one thanks thanks paul for coming on the show uh make sure you follow paul on twitter that's at paulie that's uh ie in the poly there uh two three ny um and uh make sure you check him out on his podcast the saturday to sunday and uh saturday to sunday football.com uh that's that was awesome having you on and uh i know i personally learned a lot so selfishly it was a great show
6: <laughs> well thank you guys for having me on it was a pleasure uh again combine one of my passions each year one of my favorite weekends of the year so it was great to uh, come on and uh, talk about it with you guys Heck yeah. All right.
3: Well, uh, as Nathan said, make sure you go rate and review the show, leave five star ratings and reviews Uh, this week. If you leave a guest that you want to hear, we'll, uh, we'll try to get who that is. I make no promises that uh, these, that any high profile guests actually follow me on Twitter. So I'm not sure I can slide into any DMS in that case.
4: I'm rather charming. I'll get one.
3: Yeah, no, you've got, yeah, you've, yeah you're a little snake i see that <laughs> i see that I see charming
4: that. like a snake
3: and charming like a snake uh all right well for nathan dan uh and uh and paul it has been a pleasure and uh, we'll catch up with you guys next week
2: Summer's slipping away, so grab hold of Amazing at California's Great America before it's too late. Buy next year's Season Pass and get unlimited visits this year to experience rides, shows, and attractions. That includes incredible coasters, Boomerang Bay, and an amazing Peanuts-themed kids' area. Get this special offer for as low as 11 payments of $6.50 after an initial payment. Hurry to get the best price on the most fun you can have. Buy your 2020 Season Pass now at CagreatAmerica.com. Summer's slipping away, so grab hold of Amazing at California's Great America before it's too late. Buy next year's Season Pass and get unlimited visits this year to experience rides, shows, and attractions. That includes incredible coasters, Boomerang Bay, and an amazing Peanuts-themed kids' area. Get this special offer for as low as 11 payments of $6.50 after an initial payment. Hurry to get the best price on the most fun you can have. Buy your 2020 Season Pass now at CAGreatAmerica.com.